The Seahawks stunned many by pulling off a comeback victory at home over the defending NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football, and they did so with some contributions from some unexpected sources. We'll be breaking down how Always Compete came back with a vengeance in primetime here on our latest Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening up in Marysville, Washington, or overseas in Spain. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked on Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We are going to be continuing to dive into the Seahawks' thrilling 20-17 win over the Eagles on Monday Night Football. We've got Tell the Truth Tuesday, maybe a little bit of Monday musing sprinkled in there, combining them into one show. And we already got to shift our attention to Week 16, the Tennessee Titans on the road on Christmas Eve. We'll take a first look at a Titans team that's much different looking than they were a couple years ago heading into Week 16. This episode is brought your way by the GameTime app. Create an account. Use the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, ending a four-game losing streak, the longest losing streak of the Pete Carroll era. The Seahawks got back to the 500 mark in thrilling fashion with Drew Locke leading a 92-yard touchdown drive in the final minute to lead the Seahawks past the Eagles, and they are right back in position to get a playoff spot. This was a crucial victory that the Seahawks absolutely had to have, and for most of this game, at least from my opinion, Rob, it didn't feel like the Seahawks we're going to get this victory, and yet they found a way in the end to pull it out. And I think the thing that characterizes this win better than any is Pete Carroll's always compete mantra. And you and I have both been critical at times this year, feeling like that has kind of rung hollow at times for the Seahawks team. But I think in this particular game, you got to see the benefit of that being a pillar in Pete Carroll's philosophy on multiple fronts, whether it's a backup getting thrust in because of injuries or a reserve being thrown in the starting lineup, replacing an underachieving starter. We got to see the fruit have a little bit of bearing here for the Seahawks on Monday night football with a number of reserves having key contributions in this upset victory. Well, you said a lot of key words there. Uh, upset victory, uh, reserves. I think just the fact that even if the Seahawks have been completely 100%, the fact that they are going against the reigning NFC champions, a team that, you know, obviously is coming into this game a little bit angry, a little bit desperate themselves on a two-game losing streak, now a three-game losing streak for those Philadelphia Eagles. But still, I, you know, the, the betting favorites, the Philadelphia Eagles, came into Seattle and they led this game the entire week way and Seattle seized victory from the jaws of defeat and they did so 
with a largely supporting cast. I mean, obviously, Drew Locke is the backup at the quarterback position. Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, as your number three wide receiver, even though in, in today's modern era, oftentimes he is starting. Um, but, uh, you know, Mike Jackson at the cornerback position. Julian Love is the hero on defense, is a guy that, uh, you know, was a backup coming into this season behind Jamal Adams. And, of course, Quandre Diggs, a couple of all pro uh, candidates. Uh, you know, the, the fact that to me, one of the big stories in this game was, was Leonard Williams, who, um, you know, had been traded a couple of different times. And so to, that was to me one of the most thrilling things about this victory from a Seattle perspective is obviously it was exciting at the very end to be able to win this game in the dramatic fashion in which they did. But as you said, it's the always compete mantra to be down almost every single minute of this game. The Philadelphia Eagles, of course, received the opening kickoff right down the field, even with a, a very ill Jalen Hurts, but still had the, the uh, were ahead in the opening moments of this football game. And for Seattle to take their only lead of the game in the final 27 seconds, it just felt like the perfect personification of the always compete mantra that Pete Carroll has always said. And I thought that it was just a game that, that kind of just typifies the best of the Seattle Seahawks, the ones that make you want to root for the Seahawks, root for the underdogs. They absolutely did that on uh, the, the biggest of primetime stages they've had all season long, thrust themselves back into playoff contention. And, and I think that won themselves some, some national attention in, in the meantime. Oh, yeah, there's no question about that with Drew Locke's heartwarming conversation that he had with Lisa Salters at the end of the game. That has gone viral, and and that happens when you're the only game on TV that day, too. That's why Monday Night Football is such a big deal, and this Seahawks team, they've got the best winning percentage on Monday Night Football in the NFL, and a large reason for that has been the success they've had under Pete Carroll, and as he said yesterday, I don't think that I'm going to know the reason for that even when I'm gone. You know, he doesn't, you can't explain it, but they always play really well on Monday night football and they don't lose very often. Another thrilling win for them. But as I was mentioning, you know, this is a multifaceted thing. This isn't just a bunch of backups getting thrown in to the game because there's injuries. There certainly were a few of those candidates, Drew Locke being the most notable He was my offensive game ball winner yesterday. Didn't have the gaudiest stats you're going to see, but no turnovers, which is huge. 208 passing yards, led that 92-yard drive at the end of the game. All of those were passing yards. Completed almost 70% of his passes. I mean, he was very efficient with the opportunities he had. They were pretty conservative most of the game, but when they had to let him cut it loose, he took advantage. As he said to Jack Smith and Jigba, Before that game-winning touchdown, if you're open one-on-one, I'm going to drop a bill. Well, he dropped a bill, and Jackson Smith and Jigba made sure to catch that bill in the end zone. So Locke did a great job taking advantage of Geno Smith's injury. And then at the safety position, Jamal Adams being out and, and not at the stadium, we'll leave that discussion for another time. But Julian Love was definitely at the stadium, and and unfortunately for Jalen Hurts, He was reminded of that twice with two interceptions in the fourth quarter, including the game-winning pick in the closing seconds. Love was playing all those snaps because Jamal Adams was out. So you talk about Locke, you look at Love, 
both those guys capitalized on their opportunities. And then you have the other end of the spectrum with always compete. Pete Carroll had an open competition this week between Rick Woolen and Mike Jackson and Jackson apparently had the better week. So they ended up starting him instead of the defensive rookie of the year finalist from a year ago. And, and I will say this, Rob, Mike Jackson has played really good football the last couple of weeks. Last week in San Francisco, even when they gave up 500 plus yards, he only gave up one catch for 25 yards in that game on three targets. He was one of the few bright spots on defense for the Seahawks. And in this game, Four tackles, two pass breakups, didn't give up any touchdowns in coverage. They held the Eagles to 143 yards. No pass plays over 18 yards in this football game. And a big reason for that was Mike Jackson. So this is the other end of the spectrum. Somebody wasn't injured. It was simply, hey, Reek Woolen missed some assignments. He's missed some tackles. We're going to give you the opportunity to start. And that was truly always compete being put to its fullest on the field and we got to see the plus side of that with Mike Jackson seizing that chance and last year he started all 17 games he showed that experience here with a really good game against an outstanding receiving core for the Philadelphia Eagles he showed that experience he showed that physicality I mean that's one of the things that I've always loved about Mike Jackson going back to his days at the University of Miami is that this is a guy who is going to be able to physically match up against some of the the bigger more physical receivers in the NFL and then certainly the Philadelphia Eagles have that uh you know with AJ Brown and, and so I thought that it made an awful lot of sense Reek Woolen has struggled with tackling it was one of my biggest concerns one of the biggest reasons why he dropped to the fifth round a year ago his coverage skills are undeniable Undeniable, but also undeniable is his inability to make open field tackles consistently. That's one of the things that Mike Jackson demonstrated, uh, you know, again, throughout his college and NFL uh, career. So I, I, I applaud the Seahawks for having the courage, frankly, to, to bench a player that had the aplomb that uh, Reek Woolen had, um, you know, and, and look, I have no doubt that Jamal Adams is hurting, but I still, it takes an awful lot of courage to start a player like a Julian Love in a game like this and to get you know, give him a great deal of credit because obviously he wound up sealing this victory for the Seahawks. But And everybody's going to focus in on his game-winning interception. But it was in the play earlier, the interception in the end zone, which he showed a recognition of the ball being thrown, turned his head. He acknowledged the communication that Quandre Diggs uh, provided basically told him the ball was in the air and turned his head to make that play that again is the type of play that you would expect of the highest paid safety tandem in all of the nfl of course julian love isn't among the two highest paid safeties in the league but he certainly played like that on monday night when we come back it's tell the truth tuesday no monday musings this week but we're going to be dishing out our in-depth takeaways after re-watching yesterday's win over the eagles offense defense maybe some special teams uh, talk sprinkled in there as well. Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Game Time. If you've ever been in the hunt for sports or concert tickets at the last minute, the process can be anxiety-provoking, especially when it's the holidays. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, and Game Time 
is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and with their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you're wanting to see the Seahawks spar this upcoming weekend with the Titans in Nashville using Game Time's awesome flash deals feature and a detailed stadium map, you can get seats right now for under 50 bucks, and it's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you manage to find tickets in the same section row for less elsewhere, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDINNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account, redeem the code LOCKEDINNFL for $20 off. Terms apply. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out, this is really awesome, Locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on Sports Today is here for your 24-7 coverage, whether it's top sports stories of the day, local analysis, from Locked On Experts, or our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. The Seahawks getting back in the win column. Robin, it felt like a calendar year since the Seahawks had won a game, but they pull off the upset over the Eagles on Monday night football. National audience, Drew Locke gets his I'm not writing back moment in front of a national audience with that game-winning touchdown drive. It was really exciting to watch it. And honestly, this game was pretty dull the first two quarters, but things got a lot better after halftime. And Pete Carroll was talking about it this morning, Rob, on his radio show on Seattle Sports 710. He actually said that that opening drive for the Seahawks in the third quarter was the best drive that they have had all season. And me being the running back purist that I am, absolutely it was the best drive they've had all year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we there, there are very few people out there, Corbin, who kind of pound the table in support of the running game the way that you and I do. And anytime that you are going to be a kind of a running game aficionado, then you are going to acknowledge the fact that there is going to be some drives where you do go, you know, maybe a couple of downs at the punt. That, that's just the reality of it. For the Seahawks to come back from halftime down 10 to 3, and completely dedicate themselves to really highlighting their running backs to me was a a statement about who they want to be. Pete Carroll, as you said, acknowledged that this was what he believes to be the drive of the season so far. It was a nine-play drive. It culminated with Ken Walker III having one of the most dynamic runs that I, I have seen him have in his brief NFL career, one of the most dynamic runs I've seen any Seahawk running back have. And, of course, there have been a bunch of them. Those of you watching um, on YouTube can see I got a Marshawn Lynch picture here behind me, or at least I do sometimes, that uh, you know w- was the, the great Beast Quake run against the New Orleans Saints years ago. But 
I digress. Let, let's focus in on the Seahawks' ability to kind of score this touchdown. Again, coming out of halftime against the NFC, the reigning NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. And Corbin, there was only nine plays in this drive, which again culminated with Ken Walker III, the 23-yard touchdown, where he was supposed to go left, scamper right, made a guy miss in the open field, and then again, went the distance for that touchdown. Seven of the nine plays were dedicated to the running backs. There were five runs. There were a couple of different passes. Both Ken Walker III and Zach Charbonnet got themselves involved. The two passing plays to somebody other than a running back was a four-yard reception by Jake Bobo and a five-yard reception by Noah Fant. I mean, again, this was a, a drive that was all about Seattle getting their running backs involved. We talked over and over again about how Seattle's one-two punch at the running back position is really the elite talent that can separate this team. They demonstrated that when they basically scared the Philadelphia Eagles and obviously won this game at the very end. I could sit here and rave about that drive for 25 minutes. It would take up our whole show talking about the different schematics, the fact that Shane Waldron actually stuck with the run game. I will give Shane Waldron a lot of credit. I did not like the game plan in the first half, and we have talked so much about the inability to adapt. I thought he did a really good job adapting to what the Eagles were doing in the first half, coming out of the locker room. You know what? We're going to run the football. We're going to stick with it. And that is really what propelled this offense to be able to stay in this game. And it opened up those deep balls late in the game as well against this Eagles secondary that has given up a lot of big plays. So I could talk about the run game all day. I want to talk about that last drive, though. And We've been critical of DK Metcalf. A lot of people have for the antics after the snap, the ejection he had in Santa Clara, the penalties that he's had on and off throughout his career so far where he just can't keep himself in check. And this was a game that was starting to unfold where I was wondering in the press box, one catch for eight yards in the first three quarters, are they going to be able to keep his head on straight in this game? Because he's not getting the football. Uh, the passing game has not gotten much going. This could be another game where if the Eagles get under his skin, it, are we going to see DK Metcalf lose his mind? Not only did that not happen, we got to see, I think, the best drive of DK Metcalf's career on that 92-yard drive. And the reception that he made against his leg, like that was one of those iconic, can't believe you caught that receptions that got the Seahawks a first down. And that was the only play in the day that I thought maybe Drew Locke got lucky not to get intercepted. That was good coverage there. He tried to squeeze it in. DK Metcalf pulled the ball away and then tucked it to his leg, didn't let it hit the ground. It was an incredible catch. Had that 34-yard reception. In the beginning of the drive, he had an 18-yard catch where he caught it off his shoestrings. And Drew Locke, I asked him about it, and Locke said he was trying to apologize to Metcalf after that play. And Metcalf's like, stop apologizing. We got, we got business to do. Let's get to work. He kept going back to him. He finished with 78 yards to lead the team, and almost all of that came on the final drive to win this football game. That's what you expect your best players to do, and that's what DK Metcalf did. He took over the game late, and that propelled the Seahawks to this victory. It really did. And it's a perfect segue to the defensive lineman that took over this football game and that being of the Seattle Seahawks and Leonard Williams. Corbin, all, all throughout this season and even in the offseason, I've been talking about Jalen Carter and what I thought was a questionable decision for the Seahawks and nine other NFL teams to bypass the most physically gifted player in the 2023 draft class. Hey, Jalen Carter got a sack. I mean, anybody who watched this game saw the way he ragdolled Drew Locke with the, the, the sack 
fact that he recovered, but still the most dominant defensive lineman in this game was clearly number 99, affectionately known as Big Cat. I mean, he was all over the field. The Monday Night Football announcers had to acknowledge his presence. So to me, that is one of the, I, I think everybody's going to focus in on Drew Locke. They're going to focus in on Jackson Smith and Jigba. They're going to focus in on Julian Love for obvious reasons. That we talked about before that the one of the things that the Seahawks were really going to struggle in this football game is they were not going to be able to compete at the line of scrimmage. They didn't compete, they won at the line of scrimmage, and Leonard Williams is a huge part of that. Yeah, the Eagles had a little bit of success when they were able to run off tackle. They got some big runs with Jalen Hurts running the football, but when they ran at Leonard Williams, bad things seemed to happen. He had a tackle for a loss in the opening drive. Unfortunately, the Seahawks couldn't build off of that. They gave up an 18-yard catch on third and nine on the very next play. He blew up a screen. That's the thing. This guy's instincts are off the charts for an interior defensive lineman. He blew up a screen for a six-yard loss on DeAndre Swift. And then the pressure at 300-plus pounds when Jalen Hurts was running outside the pocket on that really what to me was the play of the game it was third and seven if the eagles convert the seahawks are done they only had one timeout at that point and a two-minute warning that game was over if the eagles get the first down but he was astute getting outside and you, you could see him moving at 300 plus pounds and he was able to pursue jalen hurts and force him to cut back the other way and then jared reed's going after him so the defensive line the interior d line played really well in this football game and they forced incompletion that allowed Drew Locke to be able to pull off the heroics that he had there in the final minute and have that moment in the limelight that Geno Smith had last year. Drew Locke got that moment. The reason he got that opportunity was because of Leonard Williams' pressure there on that third down. We talked about the run game. I want to shift gears here real quick to another thing that jumped out to me in this football game, and that is the clutch gene of Jackson Smith in Jigba. That reception that he made, it was a near perfect throw by Drew Locke, but the catch was even more impressive, Rob, when you consider that he had, and we talk about shoestring catches, this was a fingertip catch. And you have to have incredibly strong fingers to be able to reel in a throw like that, the way that he did. And he followed it for a second, but he regathered it. All this happening in a split second, still gets both feet down in bounds for the touchdown. And he is the only rookie receiver, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, since 1960 to have two game-winning touchdown receptions in the final minute of a game. He did it against Cleveland earlier this year, and now he does it on Monday night football against the Eagles. The Seattle Seahawks would probably be eliminated from the playoffs without the heroics of Jackson Smith and Jigba. So has his performance been up and down at times this year? Sure. Rookie receivers, it's a difficult jump from college to the NFL, but when it has really mattered, there has never been a rookie that has stepped up the way that Jack Smith and Jigba has at the end of games. And he truly has a historical clutch gene that bodes well for the Seahawks the rest of this year. And can't wait to see what that means for the future for this really talented kid. Yeah, that, that's well said. Uh, I think that because you look at this year's draft class, Corbin, it was flush with a lot of terrific wide receivers. I mean, if all you care about are, are touchdowns, then Jordan Addison, the Minnesota Vikings, actually has more touchdown receptions. Um, you know, there are some other receivers out there who have more catches or more receiving yards. But as you mentioned, um, you know, nobody has more game-winning catches, which just in the fact that one of them was thrown by Geno Smith, the other one was thrown by Drew Locke, it yeah. just speaks to the route-running savvy that Jackson Smith and Jake 
big, but possesses. And that's going to get me to my final point here. You know, kudos to the, the talent evaluator that leads Seattle scouting department, general manager, John Schneider, to the head coach, of course, and Pete Carroll for having the confidence in this rookie player who, you know, his college career at Ohio State was curtailed due to injuries. They recognize the unique talents that he possesses. You know, JSN's ascent so far this season has been a bit of a rocky one. Um, but at the same time, the, the fact that he has made big plays like this throughout practices, the Seahawks have, you know, he, he has earned the opportunity to make these kind of big plays. And so, I, I, as you said, kudos to the rookie. We're very excited about what he is going to be able to bring the Seahawks moving forward. And then finally, I got to just throw out one more little quick acknowledgement to Drew Locke. And those of you who are not watching on YouTube, and thank you, whether you're listening, whether you're watching, but I just got to do the kind of, you know, this kind of thing, just for Drew Locke, just the, the courage to make that throw, the, the incredible reception that it was by JSN to make that reception. It was the perfect way to end the victory that, again, personified the always compete mantra that Pete Carroll has always uh, spoken about. Yeah, Pete Carroll and John Schneider needed this win as badly as what the players did. And to see the players that Schneider has drafted coming up big, who he signed in free agency, who he traded for, uh, this was a big game for both. Pete Carroll making that move to Mike Jackson, and he repaid him with a fantastic performance. So uh, this was really a big game for both of those guys, too, for different reasons. When we come back, I hate to say it, I'd love to talk about this win some more, but it's a short week. we got to shift gears, and it's playoff time in Week 16. We're going to pull back the curtain and look at the Tennessee Titans heading towards a Christmas Eve clash in Nashville. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you've got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and most importantly for free. When I was a site manager, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to to post writing positions to land top candidates, and they made the process easy and seamless. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They offer a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy. When you have that many quality candidates, so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, that process is intuitive. It's quick. It's easy. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedInNFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, here live from the VMAC. We're going into a short week. The Seattle Seahawks wanted to be able to absorb, soak up that victory as long as they could, but the fact of the matter is that on Monday night, if there's a downside for playing on Monday night football, that's one less day that you have to be able to enjoy that win, and you've got to start preparing for the next game. And that goes for us as well here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Seattle getting ready to travel to Nashville on Christmas Eve to face the Titans, who I don't think have officially been eliminated from the playoffs yet because they still technically if they win out and the Jaguars, the Texans, and Colts all unravel, 
they could still win the division potentially, but their playoff chances are like 0.00001%. It's basically like Lloyd Christmas said, you're saying there's still a chance. It's not much of a chance. That being said, Rob, you and I both know that with this team being coached by Mike Vrabel, they're not going to give up. This is not going to be a team that's a pushover. And they've still got some talented players from those teams that made the playoffs in recent years. They're going to be playing for pride here at home. Uh, this could be a challenging game. It shouldn't be a trap game. The Seahawks have to win. But uh, this is a game that you cannot play below your A game. Or the Titans at home, they could be a team that's feeling a bit frisky or an upset to try to eliminate the Seahawks or at least make their playoff chances much lower coming out of this week. Yeah, I think that this is a trap game in a lot of ways. Obviously, the Seahawks can be a right an emotional high after this incredible victory against the Philadelphia Eagles. But at the same time, uh, you know, you acknowledge the fact that the, the Tennessee Titans have a very good head coach in Mike Vrabel. This is a physical team. They are still built around the running game that is Derrick Henry. They have a quarterback, a rookie quarterback in Will Levis, who has a big arm and an awful lot of heart, and the Titans are playing well for him. And then, oh, by the way, of course, one of the Seahawks' seven losses this season was to the Cincinnati Bengals. This same Tennessee Titans team, Corbin, beat the Bengals 27 to 3. Uh, this is a, a Tennessee Titans team that stunned the Miami Dolphins a couple of weeks ago. This isn't a team that is just getting some victories against the you know lowly competitors of the NFL. The Tennessee Titans are gonna punch you in the mouth. So if the Seahawks are going to legitimize their victory they just had on Monday Night Football, they're going to have to strap up because Tennessee Titans are certainly going to be willing to play. As you said, they're 5-9. and nine. They are very much out of the playoff real conversation here. But still, that is one of the things about Mike Ravel and the Tennessee Titans is that they play physical football until the final seconds are off the clock. Now, the Titans are going to have some quarterback questions coming into this game. You mentioned Will Levis. He had to be helped off the field in overtime in their loss to the Texans this weekend. And he's got a sprained ankle. Mike Vrabel is typical coach speak. He's saying, we'll see how things go here the next few days. But that creates an interesting situation because you still got Ryan Tannehill on the team, but he is the third string quarterback now. They have Malik Willis, who they drafted out of Liberty in the third round a couple of years ago that got a few games of experience, and then they decided to draft Levis. So I would think, given the fact that they are basically out of the playoff race, they can't get a wild card, I would think with them looking towards the future, if Will Levis cannot play in this game, that we're going to see Malik Willis, which that's going to be a little different game plan. I mean, Will Levis is an athletic guy, don't get me wrong, but Malik Willis, his game is more predicated on his running and scrambling ability, whereas Will Levis is more of a capable pocket passer that's got that downfield arm strength. And so I think you would be planning for two significantly different quarterbacks. And of course, if Ryan Tannehill ends up playing in this game, the Seahawks know him. They've played against him before. Wiley veteran that's still got some mobility, has a good arm. At least you would have some tape to work with there. But that does kind of create an interesting conundrum for the Seahawks going into this week. Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, because as you said, they're two very different players. I mean, all three ha have a, a degree of athleticism to them that I think uh, requires the Seahawks to be able to have to, you know, kind of focus in on stopping the run, whether it be the running back. Again, Derrick Henry is the guy you have to stop before you worry about anything else. But definitely, if you are going to be going up against a former Pro Bowl caliber player in Ryan Tannehill, compared to a rookie in Malik Willis, who, while he does have a, a great deal of 
physical talent in terms of arm strength and, and he's shown some accuracy as well. There, there have been some questions about his ability to, uh, you know, to read defenses pre and post snap and, and just considering the creativity that we have seen from Clint Hurt in the Seahawks defense, especially, uh, you know, here in recent weeks, um, that I, I do think that it would be a, a bit of a boost to the Seahawks if they were going to go with the second third year player, um, excuse me, in Malik Willis, a, a good football player, but Ryan Tannehill is the veteran. We know the Seahawks have struggled sometimes against some of these so-called backup quarterbacks. And so I think that that is going to be fascinating. To me, again, what this really ultimately comes down to is two players on the offensive side of the ball. The Seahawks would have to slow down Derrick Henry. They have to stop a, a receiver that they are very familiar with, DeAndre Hopkins. He has six of the Tennessee Titans nine touchdown receptions so far this season from wide receivers. I mean, again, this is a team that wants to run the football. If the Seahawks are as effective against Tennessee as they were against Philadelphia, then I do think that they can win this game. But if not, then I think that the Titans can actually absolutely surprise the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins because that was clearly the biggest offseason addition that this Titans team made, giving Ryan Tannehill, who was the starter going into the season, another talented receiver. They've been trying to fill that void since they traded A.J. Brown, which I still think is going to go down as one of the worst trades in the last 25 years with what we've seen him do in Philadelphia. But this is a team that had some other significant losses that they have not been able to make up for. Nate Davis leaving to go to the Bears, that has hurt the offensive line in the interior. They lost a couple of edge rushers to Marcus Walker going to the Bears. They released Bud Dupree. He went to the Falcons. And they've had some injuries with their draft picks. Now, Tajay Spears, we talk so much about Derrick Henry. I think Tajay Spears is another noteworthy addition to talk about here because the Titans have been sprinkling him in more. And you want to talk about a true thunder and lightning package. Clearly, the thunder is Derrick Henry, who they listed 245. I've stood next to the guy. He's 270. The guy's massive. But then you've also got Tajay Spears, who is more of a burner, an electric, elusive back that can catch the ball in the backfield. Those two guys can create real problems, especially if the Titans are playing a backup quarterback in this game, whether it's Willis or Tannehill coming back in. They are going to be leaning on those backs, both in the run and the passing game. The big question is going to be, can the offensive line hold up enough? They've had some significant issues, a lot of personnel turnover there but you know this team is not going to give up. And I'm looking forward to breaking down matchups because there's still some very good football players on this Tennessee Titans team, especially Jeffrey Simmons in the middle, one of my favorite defensive tackles in the entire NFL. The Seahawks are going to have to deal with him on Sunday on Christmas Eve if they want to have a chance to get a second straight win and improve their playoff odds. Speaking of Matchup Wednesday, that's going to be coming up tomorrow. Make sure that you are listening in. You can follow me on Twitter and threads at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob on X at Rob Rank. Make sure to subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss a single episode. We'll be diving in all those key matchups to watch in Nashville on Christmas Eve tomorrow. You won't want to miss Matchup Wednesday. Make sure you're listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.